there's oh, a hi. sickness in the How house. How you feeling, Dan? Terrible. I've been uh, sick all week, so you guys are going to have to pick up the slack for me. There's a sickness in the house. What do you mean even sick? Sick. I like, got the plague. Like a dog. What does mm. that even mean, sick as a dog? Mm, but I am it. You're a dog? No, I'm sick. So we got you guys are on that because I'm feeling like I got run over by a steamroller. Uh, that's terrible. We should drink some whiskey. Yeah, right. It might help. Put your foot in a bowl of water. <laughs> Put your hand in a bowl of water and pee all over yourself. Oh, wait. That's I heard right. You, that's, that's what that does. I heard if you pee all over yourself, it gets rid <laughs> you feel of your better. Gets rid stuff of comes your out. But you have to record it. But you have to record it. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> On Twitch. You stream it to Twitch. Uh, Twitch. Yeah, let people make suggestions while you're on the chat. <laughs> this is the second time we've had like bodily fluid jokes on the opening part of the show. <laughs> what if you go outside in the snow with it without your shirt you know, on and roll around? I've I've uh, considered that, but there's no snow anymore. No, it's, it's like Texas up here right now. It's a shame. No, it's not. It's actually really nice. <laughs> it's gonna be sixty-five tomorrow. So sixty-five. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as global warming. Mm-mm. Well, don't they have like where they take all the snow with the dump trucks, and so there's giant, giant mountains of it somewhere? They take the the dump trucks and they put sharks inside them, and the sharks are in the dump trucks. They swim in in the in the dump trucks. The, the sharks. Did we just jump the shark? <laughs> that was a joke. Oh. <laughs> this. Oh. <laughs> This is like one of the worst cold opens ever. What? Isn't there a start button? Hit the start button. Okay. From KOYR Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's Arcade Radio. Fine, how do you do for episode nine? Nine times. Number nine. Number nine. Hey, welcome to the show. This is this is your host, Adam. This is episode nine of the Arcade Radio Podcast. This is great. Number nine. Number nine. Awesome. Number oh, wait, no. I'm joined by the legendary Dan Reed. Yo. Yo. And Time Runner, Mr. Mark Shields. Hola. And our guest host, Mr. Jim Stolis. Hello, everyone. Hello. It's so Hello. nice to see you. I mean, I mean, hear you. I can't really see you because radio true. and stuff like that. So welcome to the show. Uh, t- today is, well, it's Thursday, February 16th, 2017. It's 820. We've been jibber-jabbering for five minutes about pretty much nothing. So we should probably get on this show. What do you think? 
Hmm? Hmm? Sooner the better. I have to go die. Wait, are you sick? Are you still sick? Mm-hmm. I thought you were over that now. No. It's like mm-hmm. five minutes ago. It's only five, so five minutes ago. It was only five minutes ago. It was, I, thought that pre, I thought the cold open was pre-recorded. <laughs> yeah, we, we made that last week. Okay, how about a little warm-up? What are you working on right now? Dan, why don't you go first since you're going to die? Nothing. Got one foot in the grave. I've been sick all week. I've been trying to gather my junk because it's so nice out. Get your garage all prepped. What? What? Gather your what now? My junk. I got my drill press out and my drill. It has been nice outside. Yeah. So I'm getting it all ready. For what? Start grinding on some games. Oh, good. I'll come down and help with that this week. And how about that? Yeah. I'll see you Sunday. All right. Sounds good. Mark, what are you up to? Well, I I pick I did a couple pickups. I got a Super Strike Bowling for forty dollars. Sweet, so it was I'm awesome. A, I'm a little jealous of that, and and I shouldn't be because it's it's a monster. It's a big guy. It's sitting. It, it, it uses up the same amount of space that my Mortal Kombat does, and they're next to each other, side by side. Wow, is is Mortal Kombat a huge game too? Oh, very big. You could you could hide a small family there. <laughs> there may be a small family hiding inside your Mortal Kombat. No, I checked. <laughs> Did you find anything interesting in it? Nothing that would, you know, I mean, a bunch of manuals, but nothing out of the ordinary. So what's the deal with that game? Is that the one that has the control panel that looks like it's, it's a bowling alley? A bowling alley, so you have to roll something in. Yeah. The, okay. It's like infrared lasers shooting down. It has two cue balls. It's pretty awesome, actually. My wife and I now are like... Every day before we play our NBA fast break, we put in some bowling. Yeah, you but should. Your NBA fast break broke. I saw uh, a, a disaster Twitter tweet. It's, fi- it's fixed. A bolt fell out of the launcher, plunger, whatever the auto launcher is. Oh, yeah. So that was an easy, that was an easy I'm, fix. I'm not familiar with that at all. So, uh, quick question for you. Isn't that a later 80s game? It's a 1990 game. I think by a company called Grand. They did two of them. And this one is the bowling. And there's also a... a pool version like it's a pool table interesting yeah no because that and the, that game looks awesome and we'll post picture yeah. can we post a picture of that somewhere yeah of course oh my gosh there's people in the chat we have adam vernier and bob zarzadek does stuff oh. hey, hey nice to see you guys thanks for joining in <laughs> it's the first time i've actually read the chat in like any of our episodes <laughs> you uh you need to watch those bob zarzadek videos by the way Everyone check out Bob Zarzadek on YouTube. <laughs> Hola. Subscribe to my channel. Oh, jeez. That, that, guy, that guy looks awfully familiar. I'm just saying. I don't know who that is. <laughs> and so, so the other thing I did, I, I drove for 15 hours uh, to Arkansas and back, and I picked up a complete non-working Tron for $500. Texarkana wow. run? That Dude, sounds really familiar, like a 70s movie. What are you doing with all these games? Little Enos offered to pay me a hundred bucks, and I said no, thanks. Did you need to get a speedy car? I need a speedier Wait, car. Well, hold up, speedier. who who offered you a hundred bucks? Little, little Enos. Enos. Come on, dude. Who the, it's Big Enos' son. Who the bleep is Little Enos? You know who Little Enos is because if you don't, you're totally out of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't Pretty know. He's a major. He's an antagonist from the film. Well, protagonist. I don't know. Smoking the Bandit. Huh. I know he's Enos paid them to. Enos the was beer. in Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, so he's in Dukes of Hazard, I think. See, hey, welcome to the show, Jim. Roscoe so, P. Coltrane. <laughs> Roscoe P. Coltrane. Different guys. Different guy. What do you mean they're different guys? Sounds they're totally. Guys. Little Enos is a is a little person. 
This well, he's short. It's Paul Williams. Yeah. Oh, Paul Williams. Is it really Paul Williams? Correct. Oh, I didn't know that. Correct. Why do people say that now? That's like a thing. It's Paul like, Williams is still alive. He's awesome. And I think I mentioned that he has a movie called Phantom of the Paradise. So if anybody's listening to this podcast right now, go get Phantom of the Paradise. I have to iTunes. It's so good. Dude, that movie scared me when I was a kid. I couldn't even watch <laughs> Me too. I didn't know about it. Like, <laughs> Paul Williams did like all the Muppet me. music from the Muppet movie. I know, right? And he had made this horror musical. And I, 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 it had horrified me when I was a little kid. And only a few months ago, I discovered what that terrible commercial was that had scared me. And it was this crazy movie. Okay, we're really getting... Let's, let's focus. No, I like this. I'm this good. is good. This is a good tangent. Also... <laughs> Not... Not arcade-related. <laughs> well, not really. Uh, so, uh, I'll, I'll go next. I, um, I'm working... Anyway, so what else is going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were sick. I thought you were sick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I still have enough energy to interrupt. I'm going to dump your channel. <laughs> 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 so, anyway, I'm working on... Um, I, okay, so I have some news on... And I'm not sure this is going to be like breaking news anymore, but um, the uh, Chris Grapp uh, runs, uh, he's the events coordinator at the Mall of America. And, and I've mentioned several times, and I'm sorry uh, for mentioning it again, but um, yeah. So anyway, he, he and I synchronized for the Donkey Kong event, and I provided my machine for Steve Weeby to play. Well, it just so turns out that he's having another event next month. Are you kidding me? Now I have to bleep. Now I have to bleep two. That's the show. Oh, God. Anyway, uh, Bill Mitchell, you might know him as Billy Mitchell, is going to be at the Mall of America next month. William Mitchell? Mr. Mr. Willie Mitchell. Willie Mitchell. Uh, You know, proprietor of Ricky's Hot Sauce and Pac-Man gaming legend will be attempting to set a perfect Pac-Man score at the Mall of America on a Pac-Man machine. Provided by who? Well, so the funny thing is, <laughs> I reached out to the Midwest um, Pinball and Arcade Collectors Group, and and I was like, dudes, this you know this is what happens if you if you donate, and you should you sh- if you got a machine, let me know. And then I said, also if you have a machine for sale, I would be interested. And just in an off conversation, I started talking to our co-host, Mr. Mark Shields. He's the yeah. yeah. And he says, and he says, oh, I have one in storage, dude. <laughs> and, I, and then and then Adam offered to become my storage unit mule. And I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> so um, we made a deal and I am going to be providing Billy Mitchell with a Pac-Man machine next month. Mark, you're kind of the uh, central hub for a lot of people around here for getting games. I don't know how that happened. I don't either. Dude, you have a huge collection of games, and they're spread out across yeah. the United States. You need to talk about that someday. You got quite the collection. I got to get those things all in one spot. Hey, we're, Dan. Most, we're, we're gathering them in Conroe, Texas. Hey, Dan, I, I know where you can get an OutRun and a Time Pilot and a really cool van if you're interested. I, I, uh, I've been to his little <laughs> place. That's where I got. I had to trade my... What did, I, got, what did I... I think he gave me a Bubbles cabinet for free, which I traded for my Journey oh cabinet. Oh my God, Bubbles! And he was just like, he's like, yeah, I found this on the what? What? What was the story with it? You like found it on some street corner? <laughs> and you're like, here, you can have this. And I'm like, What's that, that was one of those. That was one of those free Craigslist pickups where the Are guy you, said, "You have got to be kidding me!" 
Yeah, it was oh, awesome. It's a funny story. You know, everyone always asks how I got my journey cab, and I'm like, well, you'll never believe this story. I don't yeah. believe this story, and I'm actually kind of mad at both of you right now. Well, Mark was kind right. enough, so he's like, hey, check this out. You can have this. And I said, okay, because <laughs> John Williams was looking for a bubbles cabinet. Total and, BS. And he had this. a journey cabinet that he was going to turn into an MP3 player, believe it or not. And he's like, I'm never going to find the boards for this, whatever. I said, oh, okay, well, I have Scotchy, a Scotch, bubbles cabinet. That, but it was pretty funny. So we got the cabinet back and took the siding off and... Someone put some sort of laminate on it, and there was a bubbles underneath. So I traded it for my journey. You know, because of Mark. Mark, I love you, dude. Let me tell you about that pickup real quick. This is like 20 seconds. I go in Uncle Rico's van. I pick up that the game. The guy has it in his backyard. He's not there. He's just like, oh, it's in my backyard. Just bring a dolly, and you know, it's yours. And I'm like, no problem. So I'm I've strapped it in, and I'm like you know, moving it out of his backyard. And I see another guy with a dolly coming my way. And he's like, Oh, you already got it. And I'm like, yeah, sorry. He's like, Oh, and then he walks away. <laughs> That's a terrible story, but I liked it anyway. You snooze, you lose. I'm, I'm actually, you must, you must have like a sixth sense or like several scripts scraping the internet, looking on Craigslist and eBay for any possible deal so that you can come in and swoop in and get like a free bubbles cabinet. I didn't know it was a bubbles cabinet. We, yeah, I thought we didn't know something. what it was. Nobody knows. Yep. Nobody knows. It was sitting in his in a, in your uh, storage unit, and then we brought it back to my place, oh. and we drilled out the lock, and then I'm like, I wonder what's underneath this laminate. We pulled it off, and we thought it was a moon patrol. Yeah, it was a final fight, actually, Which and I sold that PCB for some money. It was nice. Nice. Well... Nice. I just want to thank you for, you know, providing me with a Pac-Man machine because this will be the third machine that I've had world champions play on. So I'm Sweet. really excited about it because my first one was Joust. It's um, too much bragging right now. I know. I'm really bragging, but I, I, it's, I'm excited about it. It's like the trifecta. I got Lon McDonald. <clears throat> I got Steve Wiebe. And with any luck and no cancellations, I will have a Billy Mitchell signed marquee, hopefully on my Pac-Man, which would be brilliant. It'll be brilliant. So, uh, Mr. Jim Stolis, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, this is a part where we talk about stuff we're working on, and you may not have like an arcade-related thing, but maybe you do. Maybe you're working on some ROMs. Maybe you're working on whatever. Maybe you're working on firmware. Maybe you're working on programming. Tell us what you're working on that's like maybe game or video game related. Yeah, let's see. I'd say the closest thing, uh, <clears throat> doing some FPGA programming, which is... Are you kidding programmable me? Programmable gate arrays. Now, this is interesting. Please tell us the difference between something like MAME, which emulates, and something like FPGA. Well, FPGA is basically a equivalent of a circuit live on a PCB. So everything runs parallel and almost instantaneous. So you can have multiple modules put together in FPGA to emulate well actually it's it's a real simulation of of a circuit so you could do something like uh some of the discrete logic stuff in the past like pong and some of these other games where um there's really no main cpu involved that's very interesting so fpga you're working on what specifically uh, mostly just learning it so I've, I've done some stuff where i'm outputting to vga so it's just literally pin connections for vj it's just a raw connector and you spit out what you need to spit out so that it renders properly with 
H-Sync, V-Sync. You have to put all the timing together yourself and then uh, just getting that to, to work. And my next step is to add a, a ROM so I can read sprites off of it and then render those on screen and so on. Dan and Mark. There are a couple of FPGA boards out there. I think J-Rock run. Uh, J-Rock is one of them, right? Yeah, he has, I have two of his boards. He yeah. has a Milestar board and a Williams board. Right, and the give me give me a rundown of those boards real quick, will you? Uh, it's got the Milestar board has Qbert, Qbert's Cubes, Crawl, Three Stooges, Screw Loose. Which is valuable to you because you have a Crawl. I have a Crawl cabinet, and I'm just not interested in trying to keep that hardware up and running and and FPGA runs faithfully to the now. Interestingly I'm enough, be able Jim, to speak more to that, but I'm my understanding is this is pretty much running the program. You're just tricking it to run on newer hardware. Is that right? Yeah. Well, actually, what you can do is depending on the size of the FPGA, uh, you know, the memory footprint, you can actually build an entire microprocessor. So you can do like a Z80 on an FPGA. Interesting. And then feed that the ROM and have it run appropriately. And then you're just, uh, you know, outputting VGA or HDMI or whatever you really want. I mean, I've, I've even done just simple stuff where you like, you've seen these cards you can buy where it takes CGA in and you want to just do VGA out. You could, you could easily do that with FPGA. It's like a virtual PCB. Yeah, it really is. And the nice thing is it's reprogrammable because you're not like, uh, you know, shorting out and, like like some of these uh, older chips where you, you would blow fuses pretty much to create the the gates and so on. But this one is rewritable. That's very cool. So do you have a, uh, a specific idea of what you're going to do once you get a handle on it? Are you going to try to reproduce something? Uh, you know, I I don't have any real specifics. It's really just I, I, I'd like to use it because it's very digital. So um, you can... You can kind of put it in between, kind of do a man in the middle on certain things. There's there's a lot of things that I've done in the on the main platform dealing with um, a lot of in the gaming industry for gambling and being able to try and figure out their protocols, which are definitely not documented. And so I can like one of the things I'm going to use it for is that is a bill validator. When you put in a dollar bill, it has certain protocols that it uses to talk to to the machines and so on. And um, it's a great way to be able to intercept those signals and output them yourself and still pass them back out so it's unaware of what you're doing. And you can use it also to, um, very similar with protection chips on, on various PCBs, you'd, you'd be able to kind of intercept signals and see what's on the bus and so on. Sort of de-suicide boards kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it gives you a little bit of a... It, 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 a lot of this stuff, is, when, you're, when you're dealing with emulation, has a a lot of just research and sometimes there's nothing documented and all you can do is kind of fuzz the inputs and see what comes out of it and, and then try and document from there. Uh, this is going to be good. I, I know there's a lot of people out there that want to know about this kind of stuff. I think it's going to be great because we'll dive into it a little bit more when we start talking to you about what it is that you were up to in the main project and all that kind of stuff. So thanks for sharing that, what you're working on right now. And I think we're moving on now to... Uh, the Arcade News with Don Game Band. Have you guys heard about this? I have not. New Kickstarter. What? I, maybe I have. Go ahead and tell, tell me about it. it. It's a 
uh, I can't I can't decide on this or not. It looks really awesome from <laughs> the uh, Kickstarter page. It does look but awesome. It, yeah, it's a uh, smartwatch that has a micro SD card, and what you can do with it is play classic arcade games right on the watch. I'm not sure how that's going to work. I don't either. I mean, like a little tiny watch. You're doing like, and, and what, you can't play Pong by yourself. <laughs> it looks like a it looks like a Apple Watch. It does. Actually. It does look a lot like an Apple Watch. We'll post we'll post links to it after the show, you know, and we'll put it in our our feed, but it's, So it seems appropriate because I think it would be pretty simple. I think most aren't most arcade games running at something like 320 by 240 resolution, so oh, you for think sure. that would be something that would be pretty easy to yeah. mimic. Stupid. Yeah. yeah, put it right into the watch. And and just so you know, you guys, uh if you want to go find it, it's on Kickstarter. So Kickstarter, just look for Game Band on Kickstarter. So it looks pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What's the I next, don't know how it's going to work. What's the next item? What's the next item? The Retro Arch. Have you guys heard of this? I, I, Retro Arch is awesome. It's a front end for MAME. Right. And now apparently hackers have figured out a way to get that to run on the NES Classic. Interesting. What? Yep. So if you want to potentially run NES SNES or Sega, probably Genesis games from the look of it here. Jim, do you know anything about this? Uh, yeah, so this is using a platform called LibRetro. Sounds like some kind of Italian word, but it's actually <laughs> LibRetro. Okay. Um, all of these are cores that are plug-in ready. So what you do is there, uh, people have written different emulator cores for NES, Game Boy, Sega, etc. And they are using this LibRetro API, which allows multi-platform compilation. So basically, for this particular product, the NES Classic, I've seen so far on their video, they've, they're definitely supporting NES, Game Boy, Sega Genesis, uh, Super Nintendo, and they're using Atari 2600 with the Stella platform. So yeah. That's really cool. Cool. So and. Maybe we should ask this later if it's going to get too in depth. But does this kind of tie into the main project? Not particularly. A lot of these are standalone cores. Um, okay. They okay. may have used some of the main source to discover how to uh, make their cores. Oh, but, Adam uh, Vernier says that it can do N sixty four too. Is that true, or is that just RetroArch on the PC? Yeah, I'm not sure. I saw the cores that were loaded on the on the demo video, and I didn't see N64 on there. It doesn't mean it, it doesn't support it. It's all about memory footprint and whether or not the, yeah. the so, classic can take it. Yeah, the classic is pretty pretty uh, finite hardware. I would I would expect that to be like more like a RetroPie, where it can't really handle the N64, and even though it could run a few games, probably okay. Maybe not the whole entire library on N64, but you definitely could use RetroArch on your PC. And, you know, your gaming PC, and you could run N64 games, right? Yes, yeah, they have quite a few more core plugins for that. <laughs> Bob Zarzadek is awesome. I think I'm going to friend him. He's in the <laughs> chat right now. He's, he's, he's to his channel. Yeah, and he's wearing a turban. He's kind of like Klinger. Uh, That's his hair. <laughs> Klinger. You know, remember right Klinger? Hair. Klinger was in like Cannonball Run with a turban. Do you remember that? No, Klinger is in Mash. He was yeah, the Mash. cross dresser. No, but he played. He played like an, a, an Arab guy in, in Cannonball Run. That was him. Yeah, it was oh it was God. Klinger. Yeah, oh, I had no idea. Oh my God, 
That is funny. Anyway, I sorry to derail the news. What else are we looking at, Mr. Dan Reed? Well, well if you live wait, in Phoenix, you'll probably legendary. be proud to know that Cobra Arcade Bar has been named one of the nation's coolest video games bars. According <laughs> to the list. Let's consider the source. According <laughs> to the list. So uh, that's from KTAR, which is probably from Phoenix, right? They, they, they broadcast from Phoenix? Oh, sure. I'm in Phoenix next news. week. You got to go check this out. Yeah, I am. I'm totally going there. I'm going to go check this out and see if it's truly one of the nation's coolest video game bars. You have to let me know. I've seen some pictures. I like the one we we talked about in, was it last episode or the episode before in Orlando? I want to go to that one. But this one. Oh, the loungy one. one. Yeah, Yeah, I want to see that too. Yeah, but this. There's a few in that in Orlando. Somebody in Orlando report back. To us on well, uh, Jen May. She's oh, yeah, from she could go. she's from Florida. She she needs to go. We talked to her. On, maybe it was that was that what episode actually? Yeah, she needs to go. Yeah, yeah. So I've been to Orlando. Orlando. It was a Pac Man theme. Oh yeah. Well, there's there's yeah. So Dan and I are joking like every week. It's like you should just report that there's 362 new barcades opening up because <laughs> that's how it goes, news. right? And it, I don't mind. I don't mind. I think it's really cool, but I wonder how many of them are going to stay open. Like, how many rusty quarters and insert coins are we going to get before we get like a couple of good up downs? Because up down, I don't see going away. No, you know. But I, yeah, I guess so. Let's Unless they're blowing all their money on coke. You know, it doesn't matter. They have like a <laughs> huge millennial crowd that's never done arcades, and they love that. Before we sign off with the news, I just want to point out that it pretty much sucks that there's no news in here that I can be negative about because today I'm feeling ultra negative. What about punching arcade machines? I, <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Special yeah. word for that. So Kotaku, is that what it is, dot com? I've never known how to pronounce that website before. Kotaku. 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 Uh, they are reporting that in Japan, when people get angry and destroy arcade machines, there's a name for that. What is it? Daipan. Daipan. Mm-hmm. No matter Daipan. how upset you get, don't punch arcade game machines, please. In Japanese, punching Daipan. arcade cabinets is called Daipan. Oh my gosh! If you look at the K, or if you look at the Kotaku.com, uh, when people get angry and destroy arcade machines article, you'll see there's like a machine that's covered up with Zima box. I see that. What the heck is going on there? Oh. I thought Zima was dead. Well. No, they still make Zima. Nice hat. Don't get that near my. It's Canadian. It's not Canadian. Is it Zima? I think it's I Japanese. Love Zima. Fucking I used to love Zima too. In fact, I have a little side story. We were on our way. It's not a one-up story. I'm just telling you a story. <laughs> You're one-upping us right now. I, yeah. yeah. <sighs> anyway, so I'm on my way to Edge Fest number one, and my my actually uh, Dan. Um, Remember that dude we met with before we we decided to do the show? His name is Pat, yeah. Mr. Pat Crane. Oh yeah, yeah. I do. And he does a World of Warcraft podcast, and he gave us some oh, tips yeah. on how to do a successful podcast, which we've been failing at every week. He's a nice fellow. He didn't. Yeah, he's much. he's a, well. We had breakfast with him and his wife. Yeah. Anyway, his wife and I, before he and she, Go well, on. actually, actually, he and she had just Go met. On. They had just met. We went to Edgefest number one together. Believe it or not. What's it? What's Edge Fest? Edge Fest was um, 93.7. The Edge. 
It was an alternative uh, rock station here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And, okay. and they used to play, you know, all the crap, like, like if one of God, what if God was one of us and, you know, like whole and like, you know, blur and so nineties tunes. Yeah. The dreaded, the dreaded REM. Well, just the monster album, which was big crap. But anyway, so, um, sorry, sorry, chatters. And, um, Oh, we got, we got another dude in the chat now. <laughs> Mike Martin, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out. Don't, you're going to scare him away. No, Jeez. I'm not. I'm totally not going to scare him away because Bob's there and he's going to welcome to the show. So Bob's anyway, you know, we went to this, th- this thing and on the way there was this, are you about my, out of the story? Yet? No, I'm not. I'm going to drone on until you shut up. So <laughs> and that's the arcade radio news. Okay. The end. All right. Well, if anyone, okay, fine. Okay, that's it. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Back, back to the to cave, cave with, with Time Runner. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Nice. Hello, everybody. I'm going to set our destination time to February 16th, 1978. And everything that I'm going to talk about all is relative to this day in 1978, which is like, what, 40, 39 years ago or something? It was a long time ago. Long time ago. I was six. Okay. You were six? I was eight or nine or something. Well, eight should it be depends. really easy. You must have been born, born in 1970. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was born in 69, so I'm like... In... Oh, what about February? Were you still... August. So. Ah, see, we... That's right. Are you a Scorpio? Virgo. Oh, yeah. No, it's Leo or Virgo, right? So I'm a Virgo also. When were you yeah. born? August 27th. 28th, dude. What? Are you kidding me? We're a day apart? Yes. We're totally celebrating our birthdays together this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, but we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrate. Okay, side, we're going to celebrate, side. not do it. All right, so let's let's discuss the state. Um, uh, in fe- uh, February 16, nineteen seventy eight, the first bullet, the first computer bulletin board system went live. It was Ward and Randy's CBBS in Chicago, and that's important to me. Why? Well, I mean, BBSs are sort of the precursor to the internet. I mean, at the same time, there was ARPANET, you know, which were mainframes talking to each other, but. BBS has sort of set the stage for forums. So besides the TI-994A, you know, what other platform did you build a BBS off of? Well, you know, my BBS that I wrote on the 994A was copying the one that was on Apple's. I just, my parents didn't buy me an Apple. They bought me a TI. So you figured out how to port it? You ported it? I, I stole the user interface, basically. That's really quite awesome, actually. That was, you know, bored junior high students. So, I mean, that's a huge deal. First computer BBS goes live 1978, February, on this date. It was a really cold snow. Yeah, it was cold and snowy, and they were bored, so that's what happened. So I I wonder how many, they probably have about as many listeners as we do, or people that dialed up, right? Like, how do you get people to dial up? Well, uh, originally, uh, the BBS lists were shared, you know, on the mainframes, and then certain people would maintain them. I, I was on Judy Sheltima's list in Houston, Texas. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Let's talk about the top five songs. I like that. that were, let's okay. do it. Okay. So you're going to notice a, like a pattern here as we, I'm uh, going to sing along. along. 
Let's do this. <laughs> okay, so okay. For <laughs> number one was love is thicker wait, than wait, water. Wait, 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 wait. Let's let's do the five down. Let's go from the bottom up. We want to end with the number one song. Fine. Well, number five. So number five was Night Fever by the Bee Gees. Night fever, night fever. Something like that, right? Too much falsetto for my uh, demeanor at the moment. I think you know. Just, I think that Barry Gibb does a lot of ha 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 a lot of vibrating. Night fever, night fever. Is that better? There you go. Okay. Number four, staying alive. Staying alive again. <laughs> well, you can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. No time to talk. This uh, this top five is surprisingly dominated by Gibbs. Or the Bee Gees. I, it's pretty amazing, huh? And when I get to the next uh, reason, well, you'll see. Emotion by Samantha sang also, for, you know, a, a song that includes the Bee Gees. Yeah. Um, Barry, uh, Barry Gibb? Is it Barry? Yeah. He, he produced it. He co-wrote nice. it. Yeah. And then the odd duck number two here. Yes. Sometimes when we touch. Oh, oh my! Sometimes when we touch. Oh, that's 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 this. That's creepy. That song is creepy. No, go on. Why did you pick 1978? I love that you picked 1978, but why did you pick 1978? Um. Well, I mean, Space Invaders was out, and we will uh, oh, tie into yeah. that. But okay. you'll see in in a moment. But seriously, so, what's number one? Number one was Love Is Thicker Than Water by Andy Gibb. The whole freaking Bee Gees gang dominated the chart. Four out of five songs are a Bee Gees song, basically. Correct. Oh. And, and the reason why was at the box office on this date, Saturday Night Fever was number one for the ninth Holy week crap. in a row. All right, boys, let's just uh, take a moment and think about that disco was in full effect on yeah. February 16th, 1978. But seriously, so... People thought disco was cool. Arcades were being, they were being brewed in a cauldron right now. Right now. Yeah. Brood. 1978, what was happening is someone was mixing up the magic formula that was going to create the golden age of arcades. And I think 78 really, really was the start. And it, what, a, what a great year to pick, Mr. Mark Shields. Besides at the box office, what do we have? Saturday Night Fever? And then what was next? What, what, what also was going on in pop culture right around that time? Well, on television, there was uh, only three networks, four networks, I guess, if you count PBS, or as I call it, um, the "Hey, maybe we'll see somebody naked today" channel, <laughs> oh, yeah. which featured National Geographic. National, and uh, oh, yeah. what was on that? What was on on the on this night? Uh, well, Welcome Back Carter was on, and then uh, oh, I hated that show. Followed up by hey, hey, another tie-in: Saturday Night Fever, John Travolta, Welcome Back Carter. You're John right, dude. Travolta. You're totally what right. The- <gasps> is going on in 78 it's like clear channel is running the internet wait a minute i don't know what i'm saying later that night on abc was beretta like beretta didn't that guy like murder his wife Mm -hmm. no he uh oh wait off a boat yeah no that was fine that was robert wagner yeah that's robert wagner totally no the guy that starred in beretta was accused of killing his wife he was acquitted so we can't hold it against him he was accused of killing his wife. Crazy. She was crazy. <laughs> okay, on CBS, there was a two-parter Walton's episode, much to everyone's chagrin, oh called The God. Ordeal, which well, I'm sure nobody watched. Okay, just pause. And did, then, fa- Did any of you actually like The Waltons? Dude, I don't think I've ever no. seen of The Waltons I ever. I freaking hate The Waltons. I, I watched the end. Yeah. Good night, John Boy. Like when they go, good night, John Boy. There you go, yeah. Yeah, like, good. Is there <laughs> another the show Waltons? on? Is there another show on? Because I'm done with the Waltons. 
Now let's go on about the Waltons a little bit. Do you think when, that was worse? I or thought you were ago? sick. I'm going to kick you in the Now you got me fired up. <laughs> I think the Waltons was worse. It's just, it was just boring drama. <laughs> Held up later that night by Hawaii 5.0. Okay, so I love I, Hawaii 5.0. Oh, God, I hated Hawaii 5.0. Uh, Jack Lord, he's like uh, the best. He's the best. Who? Jack Lord. You really watched Hawaii Five O when you were a kid? Oh yeah, the reruns. Totally, I ran. Yeah. No, you didn't. You're the one kid that did. Mike Martin is reminding us of Eight Is Enough right now. <laughs> See, I, I was well, I was just talking about Eight Is Enough. <laughs> I like this Mike guy. Get him on. Get have him call we in. We should here. have Mike be. He should call in six one two five four eight game. Leave us a message on the game line. Uh, no, it's have him calling live. We'll well, talk I can't, to him. I, I can't, need some backing. Can't do it. God. If he calls in, I can't answer it right now. Not equipped. Bummer. Mark, let's oh, get off of Hawaii Five-0. What was on NBC, bro? NBC had Chips. Oh, God, oh, yeah. Chips. intro song ever. Okay, wait, so let me just say, uh, so everybody agrees Chips. We love Chips, right? Well, Chips yeah. was like what I watched when the Dukes of Hazard wasn't on. So uh, there's a tie-in to modern-day Chips. Did we talk about this in the last episode? I can't remember. But there, there, oh, Are we going there's to go There's seriously, you know, Is like. the one-up thing again? No. I don't always one-up. I just have really good stories, you know. <laughs> that nobody really wants to listen to and since i have your ear and that's the arcade radio news <laughs> Come on. no on. we're not in the news we were done with the news like hours ago we're in a way back machine right now and you can't stop us but anyway they're doing uh they're doing a, a a movie chips the movie i'm not joking and it's a comedy Who's in it? it's a comedy yep they gotta stay away from you me. guys look it up right now it's like <laughs> right? Yeah, this is becoming a movie. I'm not joking. You're, uh, you know, why don't you find the theme song for Eight is Enough? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Eight no, is find Enough. Find it. Find it. It's some guy singing. Right. It's no. Nobody has that song. Bring me back. Nobody. Nobody. Bring me back. We're in the Wayback Machine. Do it. Nobody wants that song. That wasn't on this night, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You don't know. There's a magic oh my god. Oh yes. It's worse than I remember. It. <laughs> that voice. This is so terrible. Oh my god. And Adam Rich as Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh God, is that good? <laughs> Why'd you turn it off? I, well, because I don't want to be like arrested by the FCC. <laughs> they, they'd probably be happy that you even mentioned it. <laughs> they probably don't even scrape for that song. They're like, that show is so crappy. <laughs> Who cares, right? <laughs> yeah, there's no royalties going there. It's funny that you're bringing up Eight is Enough because the next show after Chips was called James at 15, which pretty I've much tried to rip off eight is enough i've never only heard one it. season it's terrible it's basically <laughs> uh it was a drama about a typical 15 year old although in 21 episodes he never once approaches an arcade we we do have you guys are seriously 78 so the arcades aren't brewed yet but mark i have a, a request for you okay let's hear it next week or two weeks from now when we do this again <laughs> we need to do a full report on sid and marty croft Oh yeah, you guys, we got puffing stuff. Yeah, but we have one more little theme. I'm going to play a little section of this for Mr. Mike Martin, who's listening to the show right now. 
because 1978 was also the year that Battlestar Galactica came out. Oh my God, so Buck Rogers must have been out too. 1979. Aaron Gray, boys. Oh my, you know, right? But seriously. She could touch my silver spoons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for Mr. Mike Martin. And thanks for bringing that up because I do, I'm a huge, like my, my license plate says Adama. So I'm a, a huge uh, Battlestar Galactic fan. And rest in peace, Mr. Richard Hatch, uh, which I think is apropos. Mike you're, Mike, you're an okay guy. You can come back and uh, call anytime. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I finally have someone on my side with TV shows. So what else was on TV in 1978, Mr. Mark Shields? Well, after that was what's really happened. What really happened to Class of 65? One thing I forgot to point out about Saturday Night Fever was that that film spawned the Williams pinball game Disco Fever in August later that year. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's terrible. Yes, it's awful. <laughs> James at 15 was a drama about a 15-year-old or something? Yeah, I mean, he was constantly trying to hook up and, uh, you know, I mean, it's really boring. Yeah, go. Yeah, go look for the Blu-ray. You're not going to find it. I'm not. I don't want the Blu-ray. Actually, I'm going to mail it to you so. now that I know your address. <laughs> oh, really? The show? What really happened to the class of '65? No clue what that was about. <laughs> kind of a vague. Okay, moving on. Oh yeah, this is the part on the show where we interviews. We we talk about the. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. That means we're talking to you, Mr. Jim Stolas, again. Welcome to the show. And Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. I, I have a few questions for you. Fire away. <laughs> You've had a long career in IT, right? Yeah, about, uh, I've been working with computer, let's see, professionally, I've been a programmer for about 27 years now. And you, but you've recently got into board game design, which is pretty cool. So give us a little bit of your background. Like, well, how, how'd you get in IT? How'd you find your way, uh, into MAME and give us a little background about your board game design. Sure. Well, like most of the people here today, I've, uh, Kind of started out with the uh, back in the day with the Apple II. It was about 15 years old when that came out. Represent. Uh, actually, before that, I even did uh, back in junior high. I remember uh, using the old uh, teletype machine with the acoustic coupler on it and hooking up to Mech back before they were the big deal and did their Oregon Trail and everything else. You could actually log into their timeshare through phone dial up and it would do this big old printout for you on a, I used to save those. I, I don't have any of them anymore. I wish I would have seen those again, but, uh, so that kind of got me intrigued with computers. Apple II did a lot of programming hacking that back then it was a uh, pretty big bulletin boards, kind of like you were mentioning. And, uh, so that got my programming pretty much kickstarted on my own. I didn't really take any professional classes on it just because I had, uh, achieved pretty good uh progression from Did you crap app. any games oh yeah oh. lots of them See, back I... in the wares days oh sure i probably had you made a text had something from yeah our group and stuff mm -hmm. really did you have a name you went by i was alias the i was alias the alias <laughs> oh. <laughs> really bad name but did you also have like an ascii logo 
No, I didn't. We didn't have uh, ASCII stuff because mostly we were doing floppy disks, you know, game cracks and stuff for the Apple at the time. And so we would uh, crack the game and then we'd create our own little signature page that we would kind of intercept on the bootloading so that it would show our stuff and then it would continue the boot on. Uh, Love it. I'm sure I didn't have one of your games. What what games did you guys crack back then? Oh, I'd say probably one of the biggest ones you might remember would been from like Ultima Three. Oh yes, stuff like that. Uh, I remember doing Auto Duel. Oh, Auto Duel! That was one of my favorite games. I love Auto Duel. Yeah, I mean that we just pummeled through a ton of them. Uh, I basically learned assembly language with the sixty five hundred two quite uh, proficiently at that point. So and, uh, assembly is. Is that also used on the VCS? Yeah, I mean, there's a slight derivative of of the processor, uh, but it's I think it's like a 6502 normally, but I think I can't remember what the processor was like a sixty three oh two or something weird. It's it's the same family though, so it pretty much had the same opcodes and everything. Have you ever programmed anything for the twenty six hundred? Uh, not really. I did a, I did a light amount of homebrew just trying to learn it and just understand it. But that is a extremely complex system, believe it or not. And dealing with some of the bank switching and the way that they do the video mapping, it's, I tried it, but never got really into it. Tell us a little bit of how you ended up in MAME. You know, several years have gone by and I purchased a video slot machine at the time. And I noticed that they share a lot of of similarities to arcade machines. I mean, they've got many of the same CPUs internally or MCUs. They use a lot of the same sound chips, like the Yamaha sound chips and so on. And they have graphic ROMs. They do bit planes, just like arcade machines do. And uh, so I'm like, this is kind of interesting. I, I, and I always like to tear stuff apart and kind of figure out the, the inner workings of them. So... At this point, I had prior to that, I had done some ROM hacking with Arkanoid. I created an editor for people to make their own levels for Arkanoid, and then you could redump them. I did some Donkey Kong editing and and also Crazy Climber, which is the only machine I actually own is a Crazy Climber cocktail edition. So, um, but yeah, so I, I learned a lot about uh, this slot machine. I'm like, well. You know, I'm gonna check with the the developers in Mame and see if uh, they're okay with me submitting a driver. And at the time, uh, like in the early 2000s, they actually kind of banned gambling machines from Mame. I'm not sure they they kind of changed their stance later. But so I put this out and um, learned a lot about it, and it actually ended up helping the Mame core itself there this particular processor was a 8032 which is part of this family called an MCS 51 and basically that core in MAME was incomplete but it rendered a lot of games for the arcade fine but this video poker machine of mine actually ended up using some opcodes and some different uh, functionality of the core that wasn't implemented yet in MAME so I Submitted some changes to that and got my game working, and it actually ended up helping MAME as a whole for future arcade stuff. So it's kind of nice that they've allowed some of these other machines to to be used because they weren't aware of some of the things you know that were pressing different sections of the CPU that had never been used before. And maybe for some of our you know listeners that are new to MAME, can you give tell us what exactly is MAME? 
Sure. Uh, well, you know, initially the word MAME came from multiple arcade machine emulation. And uh, the originator, uh, Nicola, I can't remember his last name, Samarini or something to that effect, he, uh, he basically just did a few arcade machines where he took the ROM impressions for the programs and the graphics and he used a chip reader to dump those into a binary format and then he would write a wrapper around that that would emulate all of the other parts of the arcade machine. So what this means is you're not simulating what an arcade does, like you know, making Pac-Man do this and that. You're actually running the exact code that was found in the arcade cabinet. The difference is, is you're mapping it to modern hardware. So you might be using a keyboard instead of a joystick or a real joystick, but now you can use DirectX and, and how, you can use an LCD monitor. So and, how do they compensate for, say, you know, like Pac-Man uh, or any of the older games that may have run on, like, say, a Z80 or, um, hmm. you know, a Z-Log chip? How do they, how do they, so they, they obviously have to write code that, that can slow down a processor and run right. at yeah. the same so, speed. How do they do that? So every every processor has uh, individual instructions that are executed at the machine level. That's right here, assembly language or machine code. And um, all of those have different timings associated with it. And and this is all documented if you actually sure. are, you know, one of these chip nerds that just go through and just want to read everything about a Z80. Uh, it'll I, I, tell I, know Mark, you, I know Mark and Dan are really into the, reading about uh, that stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, it'll tell you that certain um, certain instructions, maybe that takes three clock cycles to do a, an addition and two to do a uh, shift register or something. But basically what they do is they count these clock cycles so they're exact to what the CPU was using. And then they just add a uh, a time constant that based off of your CPU, so that it's always running at the the proper rate. Oh, that's interesting. We simulate the crystals, so we know it's a one megahertz uh, clock in there. Oh. Then we for, just make sure the, that for every the sound and stuff. For yeah, I mean, you have to be pretty good about reading schematics when you're doing a driver for MAME because you will be using that for your baseline to make sure that everything is uh, accurate. Oh, that's really interesting. Here's a, a little aside for you. A 60 in one, 4 billion in one, whatever in one. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I think they're they're pretty pretty interesting setups, but as as a main developer, though, they're pretty much shunned for for what they are. Uh, we've actually found, depending on the on the unit, that sometimes they're actually taking main code and kind of ob- obfuscating it and. and and hiding it, but we've seen strings in in some of the dumps that show us that it's actually Mame code running on some of these machines. And so, like the sixty one is actually maybe using Mame. Yeah, it, it's basically using a very tiny compiled version and uh, running it on specific hardware. So it's kind of a gray area, you know. Uh, they're not really considered uh, official as it were yeah speaking of that uh, you know there's legality surrounding that did you have any comment on you know like uh, say i have a but to be honest i mean i've had to use roms um to recover some of my machines like my xenon vocalizer board uh, it died and, and uh when i tried to reseat the chips the, the legs just fell off 
Sure. And yeah. so I had to reburn all those chips. In fact, a tie into my Mall of America Donkey Kong story, which is getting old. I'm sorry, but um, when I was when I was going to prepare that for Steve. <sighs> No, tell it again. Tell it again. <laughs> when I was preparing, was I preparing my game for Steve? You guys know the rules, right? It has to be a Virgin Donkey Kong board. You can't have any mm. any mods on it. And I'm running the Braze Kit, which, interestingly enough, apparently runs its own version of Donkey Kong in addition to storing your scores. So what happened was I had had a problem with my my four board set. There was a problem with one of the interconnect cables. And to to make a long story short. Too late. <laughs> okay. Okay. True that. So anyway. And that's the Arcade Radio News. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You're so harsh. You're so harsh. Uh, Dan, I thought you were sick. Go to bed. So, uh, you know, um, we, I was having some issues, and I thought, okay, I'll compare the ROMs. So I dropped them into uh, a little reader that I have, which, um, incidentally, Jim taught me how to use that reader. And how to use the burner? It's um, and it, it's a inexpensive burner, and that you can get on the internet, and it's like a hundred bucks, maybe one hundred twenty. You know, it's got its own little software. It allows you to do check rom, uh, checksums on your roms, right? Mm-hmm. So I load up all of my Donkey Kong roms just to make sure everything's working right, because I'm like, well, I'm having sound issues and graphic issues. Maybe there's something wrong there. So I I load them all up, and I, I find some differences. The checksums aren't accurate. So I reburn all my ROMs using a, a DK ROM set. It says DK ROM set US1. Well, I don't remember what site I got them from, you know, and I, I downloaded them, burned them to my ROMs, and I put them back in. Well, that didn't solve the problem. And the Braze kit um, continued to run the game. Well, as soon as I took the Braze kit out, because I can't have any sort of, you know, any modifications to the game when Steve's playing it to, to set a world record, something weird happened. And instead of having, you know, well, what happened is I started playing it just to test it out. And so you got the, the barrel level and all the barrels are coming down. I'm jumping the barrels and I get up and then I do the thing. And then all of a sudden I'm on the pie level, the cement factory level. And all of a sudden I'm on the elevator level. And then finally I'm on the, the you know, the girder level with the blue, the blue level. And, and then you defeat Donkey Kong. And it turns out that that's the original sequence of the Japanese version of Donkey Kong, and I actually burned my ROMs on my Donkey Kong with the Japanese ROMs. Oh yeah! So I was freaking out, and I I called Jim, and I'm like, Jim, you got to help me out. I I got I'm bringing my Donkey Kong machine to the Mall of America in like two days, and it has the wrong ROMs. So I got the right ROMs, and Jim read the headers and and told me, Oh yeah, you got the Japanese ROMs there, and oh these are the right ROMs, and you should you should burn these. So I, I burn those and, and long, you know, and this is the long story ending now, but thanks to Jim, my Mall of America Donkey Kong event was successful. So I appreciate it. What was that score, by the way, at the end? He didn't make it all. I mean, he did really well. I think he was in the 900 thousands actually. Oh, but he played three times. So he had like a 400, he had a 700 and a 900. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it was not four times, maybe three. But that's a long day for a Donkey Kong player. You get three times four, it's four hours playing each game. I can't imagine. Yeah, that that's just gotta be draining. I would I would be happy to be like at the two hundred thousand level around the hundred you know, like around the forty five minute mark. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Which is still a long game of Donkey Kong, you know? 
Oh yeah. That's like back in the the eighties. You remember that book that came out it was called like, I think it was mastering Pac-Man. It was like Ken Uston. who was like this uh, <laughs> huge blackjack guy. And he writes this book on Pac-Man. And I remember reading that as a kid and I'm like, Oh, this is going to be the grace. And I would actually play, he had like five patterns in this book. That's all you had to remember. And you can get like all of the key levels and you just keep going. I mean, it was just insane, but yeah, there's a point where you get, to those things, to those higher levels, and you just feel like drained, and yeah, I mean, it's actually not as fun after a while. One of the guys we're trying to get on the show is Tim McVeigh, and he plays a mean game and nibbler, and you have to pay that play that game for a long time. And yeah. I can't imagine like building up extra guys to take bathroom breaks. It's just like legendary. I love hearing stories like that, but I personally could never do it. I would love to talk to those people and see how they do it and how they prepare for it, but I am not prepared to. Like, I'm not going to get a bunch of extra guys just so I can pee and have a slice of pizza. You just know, get a catheter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just get a bucket. Do it like the rest of us. Catheters. Uh, when I cath. <laughs> anyway, so main version 0.180 appears to be the most current version. Is that still true as of December 16th? Uh, you know, I'd have to take a peek. Uh, yeah, 818, I guess it just came out in December. Yeah. Okay. So, um, can you tell us or what kind of improvements? Or, yeah. Yeah. Zero one eight one. But uh, one of these, whatever the version is, go look it up on the internet. So, yeah. Can you tell us what kind of improvements they make when they do these, each of these revisions? Like what, what, what kinds of things may have happened in the last version? Uh, you know, not, there's really not huge kind of leaps going here oftentimes you're looking at just uh stable revisions where someone's just you know patched up something where there was glitches and stuff there we have our own mame testers website where uh, people can submit bugs and then the developers will go through that and and try to repair them but a lot of people don't know that mame actually produces a new build Every month, the last Wednesday of the month, they've been doing that since 2014. So uh, you can actually patch if you go out to like GitHub, you can download the source code, compile it yourself, and and you can get revisions every month. That's cool. So what what are the types of games that you enjoy most getting into the main archive, or you know what what kinds of things have you seen come across that you're like, oh, that's something cool. I've never seen that before. Well, you know. Um, so MAME, I told you, was originally called Multiple Arcade Machine Emulator, but actually um, between 2012 and 2015, we actually started merging with a sister project called MESS, which stood for Multiple Emulator Supersystem, and that's basically all your micros like Apple II and... Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I remember And all that. the consoles... Uh, NES and Xbox and so on. So now MAME has absorbed that. Uh, by the end of 2015 or so, uh, we use the same source repository now, which is beneficial for everything because, once again, like I did with the poker machine, now we've got all these other things involved, and you're seeing those enhance even more so that the CPUs and stuff are getting much more accurate. And, and you need to realize that MAME is a preservation system we're trying to preserve roms we're trying to document systems there's over 30,000 systems now at this point that have been documented whether it be micros or arcade and it's all about accuracy there's nothing we don't try to 
you know, be speed accurate. Uh, it, it, oftentimes some of the games crawl because they're accurate, but they're not cheating. You know, you'll find other emulators out there where people have optimized for a certain platform and they, they work great, but that's not what we're doing. You know, we're trying to keep it as accurate as possible. And that includes artwork. Um, there's a whole Mr. Do, I guess is the name of the, the gentleman that does a lot of the artwork preservation so that even something as simple as the little, uh, as a, a marquee, a console, uh, instruction sheets that may be, uh, you know, under the cla- under the glass and so on. So that's really cool. <clears throat> um, oh, so anyway, yeah, the, I actually had a good time with your arachnid English Mark darts. Oh my God. I for- totally forgot about that. You remember that? Yeah. So I, I threw that into the main system. So wait, wait, let's back up. Yeah. For, for whatever reason, we were talking about it, and you were over here one time. So anyone who has an English Mark Darts, a Super Super Plus Two or whatever, with the old amber nine inch screen on it, mm-hmm. um, there is a ROM in it. Yeah, it has a CPU. It has a ROM. Yeah. And it has a giant input system, which is basically all, where all the little dart pads are. I totally forgot about this. So you asked me to burn the ROM, right? Yeah. So I, I, I made a driver out of it. And obviously, I, can, I can't simulate the darts so well. So I like, you know, I just mapped the keyboard. So like the letter R might hit a bullseye and then the letter T is a <laughs> triple 20. But it was a way to test that the unit actually works. And it's kind of fun. But that, that enables you to then like, oh, so for instance, on that particular ROM, it had cricket. It had 300, 300, right. 301, 501. It had um, tic-tac-toe. And right. pot- potentially we could rewrite our own dart game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could do homebrew. I mean, homebrew is a very big industry for that people branch off of MAME. I mean, there's a lot of things that beyond that uh, that are people are doing with MAME uh, beyond arcade. But I mean, there's there's artificial intelligence, deep learning going on. Um, they're you know, I, I saw uh, someone create a uh, that something that hooks up to the parallel port on your computer, which most people don't have anymore, and uh, it'll output XY monitor straight out so you can actually use mame for vector games with a real in the native hardware monitor oh interesting getting back to the native hardware question i just gonna we're just gonna throw this out here so we talked about fgpa we we're talking about you know emulating in real hardware monaco gp is is kind of a favorite out there among amongst collectors uh and, and it's cool because it has the led display and it sort of has an oscillation pattern for how the car goes back and forth and you, and you right. dodge your cars. But the interesting thing about that game is it's a little bit before uh, ROMs were really around and, and, and a true CPU. And so this whole thing is, is actually uh, rendered in discrete logic and the, and the, and the, mm-hmm. you know, and the pieces of the pixels and whatnot are actually brought in and, and rendered on the fly. And then you have this sort of oscillation pattern for how you need to dodge cars and Monaco GP led to Turbo, which um, led to really, um, I think, Atari trying to compete with Pole Position. And those three games are, are, are like pivotal. But Monaco GP is a, a huge hit in my house. I have a mini. Can you tell us why Monaco GP cannot be put into MAME? It's not a matter of it cannot be put into MAME. It, we've actually made some pretty big progress. I say we, but it's not, I'm just talking to this group because it wasn't me that did. There's a, there's a gentleman on the group with, with a handle called... Uh, Kurasud, I think is his name. And he's actually doing an entire discrete logic plugin for MAME. It's part of the core. 
Um, it's called a net list. I don't know if anyone's familiar with electronics where you can do like spice simulators where you can plug, you know, various components together and, and, and simulate what a, what a chip would do or, or, you know, putting certain capacitors and resistors together. Well, that is being done today. Um, games like Pong have actually been introduced into MAME now, and they're taking the schematics and creating these net lists, which is just a bunch of connectivity saying this part is a capacitor, it has this value, and it <laughs> part A connects that is to part insane. B. That is insane. And it's just a big mapping of a schematic, and it runs. So they're basically they're, building a custom PCB to run these things. Right. So the problem is, is we're emulating, we're running these through a, a PC, and they're dog slow. Okay. You so, know. So how do you but, how do you compensate for timing then? I mean, it's like, mm. yeah, it, it's it it will run eventually, but it's a matter of CPUs catching up. Interesting. But the nice thing is that with this discrete logic library. We're using it for sound and See, other components. To me, that's like totally, you know, counterintuitive because the CPUs today are so fast. Why would why, why would it take so much CPU power to actually, you know, render a pong game? Well, it, it it all boils down to what I spoke about earlier about FPGA. Is it's a parallel process. So unless you're running it on a GPU like a like an NVIDIA graphics card, you're not going to get the throughput of because everything has to be time sliced. It's just incredibly slow. Interesting. So, what what if they did take advantage of a GPU? Is there any? But then you then you know it's possible, and I, I wouldn't doubt someone will come out with an FPGA version of it someday too. I mean, it wouldn't take. Uh, I mean, it's going to take some work, but it, it, there's nothing technically holding it back. You know. Yeah. And then there would be. I I think I remember that game. Doesn't that even have an incandescent bulb for the fog effect or something? Well, so they um yeah maybe turbo, but I think the. The the interesting thing about the game, the most interesting thing about that game is in the cockpit of Monaco GP. Besides the LEDs keeping score, which is you know there's got to be some bits flipping there to switch those on and off. Mm-hmm. You have a live tachometer, mm-hmm. which is yeah you know, uh, yeah because I mean you you still have discrete components, so you can do analog and uh, that's just crazy. It's beautiful. Yeah, but yeah, I, I probably wouldn't expect it to be ever. Uh, part of MAME until CPUs are just insanely fast or, yeah. uh, you know, someone comes up with something. I can't remember, but I think either the master system in Japan or the, or the, or, or the mega drive, um, actually did a port of Monaco GP, which is one of the rare ones you can get, which is, you know, probably the only way you can get it without actually playing the actual hardware. So, yeah, someone did a simulator and, and there's a difference between simulating and emulating, but, uh, I'd say that was probably about 10 years ago. You can Google it and you can find it, but uh, it's definitely not uh, complete like like a real discrete logic uh, net list would do. Tell us a little bit about so Laserdisc games, another another sort of interesting yeah. foray into MAME. So they, they, they have both ROM and video components. Tell us what the challenges are in emulating a laser game. Lead on, adventurer. Your quest awaits. You know, um, if people want to look up this information, Aaron Aaron Giles or Giles, I don't know how you pronounce it, G I L E S. Uh, he was actually one of the uh, leaders on on the main group for quite a while. Uh, he he wrote a, a very good article on this on on laser capture because uh, one of the problems was 
being able to read some of the non-readable areas of a, of a laser disc in order to find where specific frame sequences and stuff are stored. There, there's stuff kind of, the only way to read it is to read it raw, like through Linux or some other uh, ways to get a really good, clean laser copy into a digital format. And um, he wrote a really excellent article on this, and, he, and no one's actually come up with a very good standard yet. MAME has pretty much been hands-off on most of the laser stuff. We we have drivers, but they're not officially part of the, the system because of uh, licensing with Digital Leisure and such, where they've actually still have a commercial product, and they own the, the licenses for many of these uh, laser platforms. And because of that, MAME will not ever put out a product that will directly compete with another commercial product. Yeah, and, and so Digital Leisure is run by the guy who actually invented uh, Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. Okay. And so they still he still releases those games. Um, yeah, they, they, they're still live up to this date, and um, you can get things on Blu-ray and, and various other things. But yeah, I don't expect to see much in the, the main area until those licenses expire. That's interesting. And, and I know there's products out there we've talked about on the show, including Dan. Um, but we, you know, there's products out there that actually emulate the whole laser disc component mm-hmm. and, and, and the contents so that you can, you know, if you have a dragon's lair, there's products out there that will do it. But it's it, great. Buy one. <laughs> is that Merlin or Dexter or both? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we got, we have these products out here, especially for people that have an actual dragon's layer machine. That's not functional. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine trying to replace some of those laser players anymore. It's gotta be a, quite tricky. Well, Over to my house, I have like eight. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, tell us a little bit about that. What does it take to, you know, why are there so, you know, tell us a little bit about laser disc, uh, Dragon's Lair players, the original LaserDisc player, why they go bad, why you need to replace them. And- uh, well, I mean, the original player was painfully slow. So the more you used it and it would hunt around on the disc, obviously, you know, it was taking a fair amount of abuse and eventually it would just die. So then you upgrade to, you know, the next level, which is a Sony player, like a 14, I think it's a 1450 or something like that. And that performed better. Still not fantastic, and um, a few people have come out with hardware that will allow you to use the Pioneer players, and those worked very well. But you know, now that there's the ability to completely eliminate the LaserDisc player out of the equation, everyone wins. Because even even though I had the high end Pioneer player, it, it still it still was a shitty experience. You know what I mean? It would <laughs> still never track perfectly. Yeah. So the first time I ever beat Dragon's Lair was. Truly, with the Dexter board, which is kind of fun. I mean, I, you know, it's funny, and they've released those on DVD and Blu-ray. Well, do, do they leave them on Blu-ray? But they they also had a Wii version and like an Xbox version. Um, but they've been redoing that franchise over and over again, which is understandable why Mame doesn't want to dip their foot in the pool because they don't want to they don't want to be like under a lawsuit for taking money away from them. So, you know. yeah. And that, and that well, brings that brings up the legality question again. You know, like people probably ask you, or you've heard this. You know, well, I have a game. Can I download the the, the ROM right. legally? What what's your answer to that? You know, the canned response from Mame has always been: if you get permission from the manufacturer, it's most likely fine. Anything else is pretty much a gray area. 
Yeah. So, so if you I mean, don't, that, and, that, and that's, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. They're not going to, they're not going to promote anything no. beyond that, but, but they probably won't come and prosecute you either. So it's like, you know, like my, my restoring my Donkey Kong machine and actually getting the ROMs back to the, the original us ROMs that are supposed to be in there, you know? Right. I mean, you've got a different scenario there too, which, you know, is also kind of a gray area. You, you're not, you're not running it on a PC. You're just swapping out a chip. Right. I'm putting in, I'm essentially putting in the same um, chips that were there, though. You know, it's like I blanked right. them, rebuilt, you know, blanked them, re-burned them. So like and, what an op would do. And, and and then there's then there's the anomalies where these guys come in and they're like, okay, um, well, the the most famous one I can think of is um, the dude that reprogrammed his NES ROM for his daughter, who was like, well, why isn't why can't I play as uh, the princess one, the yeah. princess, and so you know, or Princess Peach, or whatever they call her. But then it was I, we had this conversation too. But in the original Donkey Kong, she was called the Lady. So why can't I play as the Lady and rescue Mario? And so mm-hmm. Dad like swapped the sprites, and now you're playing as Pauline or the Lady, and you're going up the ladder and you're saving Mario, which is kind of cool. And then, and then likewise in the Clav community, some guy picked it up and he's like, okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to reprogram the arcade ROMs, and now I can actually, you know, if I find the right site, I can download those those ROMs and and reconfigure my Donkey Kong machine to play as the lady. I think that's awesome, by the way. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Someone actually did a full cabinet too, if I remember right on that. Yeah, so Rich at this old game uh, produce produces a full art package for that, so you can get like totally pink art, pink art for your Donkey Kong machine, <laughs> which is really cool, actually. I would do that in a minute. If someone handed me a Donkey Kong, I wouldn't even restore it. I'd just do a Pauline. But more likely if it was a Popeye. Oh. <laughs> Have you seen the DK2, which is just a homebrew uh, where the guy yeah. redid uh, his own levels and such? Yeah, and I have DK Remix, which is, um, it's even more insane, you know? So you have, there's actually logic and puzzles in the game now. <laughs> you have to do, you have to like hit the girders and then a girder falls down so you can actually jump up to the point you need to and hit a button and then, I mean, it's really complex. There's a whole community called Misfit Mame, which uh, supports a lot of those uh, different ports and stuff that people have done that are not really official part of Mame, but they kind of ratchet it on so that you can check them out in Mame too. That's really cool. So, you guys, uh, any any more questions for our esteemed guest? Uh, yeah, I have a question about like a weird control panel. Like I noticed that I, I just got a Super Strike Bowling. Mm-hmm. 90 game where it's got some infrared sensors what who figures out how to map that out onto the keyboard like i mean i I saw that there's like these two guys moto shifo and anto pisa do you know those guys adolfo 69 not in particular but there's like uh i think there's like 600 developers that coordinate with this stuff so it's international i mean there's a ton of people that we share the repository and there's a group email and so on but uh there's there's a few that stick above the rest that are always doing stuff but yeah i'm not so did you did you have any games that where you're like i don't know how to get people to be able to play this because the interface was so weird i mean really you used a good example there with the dartboard yeah um well personally i haven't run into a lot i I haven't done that many drivers i've probably only done about 
maybe six or seven drivers. So most of it, like I said, was was in the uh, gaming industry for for gambling. Hmm. Can you talk? Um, can you talk a little bit about that, or is this, is this hush hush? No, it's fine. It's, uh, <laughs> Tell us about your gambling habits. Yeah. <laughs> what do you well, play when you go to Vegas? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The a lot of these gaming machines that you know you see in the casinos are really not as protected as you would think. I, I, I mean, a lot of this code, I believe that, is wide open and. Um, pretty easy checksums and stuff to crack if you really want to and i found um i haven't found anything interesting in 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 anything at this point but uh there are places outside of the u.s in various countries that are using these machines and modifying them and gambling in a casino outside of the u.s is basically buyer beware you have no idea we're in the u.s we have a gaming commission where every piece of code that's written for every single slot machine video poker etc has to go through them they review the code they test the machine for various ways for cheating and shocking it and whatever and um so very stringent guidelines on these products but once you get out of the u.s it's pretty dangerous (laughs) And you haven't, but yeah, done, you haven't done that, right? Even for for some of these machines, just just on my own, wrote my own SDK that lets me make my own poker machines. So you can do like your own themes and stuff. Yeah, in fact, I converted a video poker machine into a horse racing game. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so you can put in tokens, and it'll pay out coins through the hopper because it's a physical machine that was supporting that but it, because it's a video monitor i can make it do whatever i want it to do as long as it's within the confines of the resolution so this is a good segue because your sort of analytical mind combined with your creative initiative you know building these machines out into something entirely different um i don't know what inspired you to do this but now you're you're a board game developer. You're actually you actually have, in addition to your skills as a programmer, you're you're doing this 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 cool thing with a new game. Tell us about your new game, your company, how you started it, and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, the company is called Stylistic Games, and um, I got my first card game out in November of last year. Got it in like Games by James and. Uh, the source has it, and uh, it's out on Amazon. You can go to www.prospectica.com. That's the name of the game. Or you can go to www.stolistic.com, which will link you to Prospectica. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of – I've always enjoyed games, whether it be you know electronic or, or tabletop and board games. So I kind of got into this and started to uh, – produce one and i thought it was a blast i've actually got a second one in the works and it's probably about 90 percent done this one is a cooperative card game and uh i count myself as one of your beta testers for you were beta testing prospectica uh very early on and then we played that other one which i haven't produced yet which was that uh kind of adventure game thing where we died every 30 seconds yeah yeah it was fun. <laughs> so we're going to call that game You're Going to Die because <laughs> that's all you do in that game. <laughs> I also would like to offer other titles such as Die, Die, Die. <laughs> yeah, so, I uh, died last week. I died tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that game was insane. But I died too. But it's, it's really fun. I mean, the mechanics, you know, having kind of an analytic 
mind you these the rules and and various things kind of come sort of easy you know that and they're they're fun they're playable games and um it's something that you can do as a hobby and if it ever becomes big then i'll switch over but it, it never hurts to have a couple irons in the fire real briefly how much does it cost on amazon uh it's 14.99 it's a double deck so 108 cards with an instruction booklet it's and, a nice it's uh, a nice package i bought i bought one on amazon for you by the way that's a good deal. <laughs> yeah, yes. you know, I, I, I want to keep prices low. I want it to be impulse, let people try it without feeling that, you know, uh, we're kind of in a renaissance right now, I think, of board games. And uh, I'm seeing a lot of Kickstarter programs and, and a lot of independent games. People are are moving from your classic, you know, gin and canasta and things. And, and they're moving into more independent type games and and you're even seeing that even in the video game industry, more indie games versus AAA games. Yeah, Adam Vernier brought up Killer Queen, which is a really interesting in multiplayer arcade. I don't know if it's independent, but I, I didn't see a major label on it. I didn't see you know Activision tied to it or anything, but it's a really, really cool game. Five-player, multiplayer, two teams. So uh, that, I, you know, I totally agree. And you have all these, you know, all these little game companies cropping up all over the place really for the last i think it's been a while now um that you had these indie games that have been cropping up will wheaton even has a show or had a show called tabletop yeah where he kind of yeah, featured I was some actually of those thinking of submitting some stuff to him see if he would actually give it a go you never know but it, uh, yeah you might get some good exposure and who knows maybe you get to play with felicia day yeah <laughs> will wheaton is so cool uh, yeah he is really cool <laughs> He's way cool. One conversation, but it was about like it happened twenty years ago, and I think the topic was porn. So I I can talk about that. (laughs) Go on. I have me. I'd have to go look it up. It was an email. A certain couch in his. uh, What? (laughs) Something I don't know. No, I think we had a shared interest, but I don't recall what it is. Uh, That's well. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Sidebar over. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. So maybe we should get together and make an arcade uh, tabletop game. I don't, I don't think I've seen any out there. So That'd be interesting. Maybe like a touch screen. You could slide the cards around. And then you could swap out multiple games. That's true. You could. How long would it take you to design and kick out an arcade game? 80s style. Uh, Today's day and age. What hardware? Really put one together. Well, let's just say you're going to do like a space oh, It doesn't matter. Store. Can I choose my own hardware? Sure. Sure. Yeah, I, I, using a product like Unity, I don't know if you've heard of Unity. Oh, sure. Yep. Um, I've I've used it quite extensively, and um, it's really dead easy. I mean, you're looking at a couple weeks, and you could have something for many platforms because you can compile Unity to work on PlayStation, Xbox, several consoles like that, PC. And you went after uh, Crazy Climber and Donkey Kong in your early ROM you know, days when you're trying to like alter ROMs and stuff. Yeah. Arkanoid. I actually put an editor out. You can find it somewhere on the inner interwebs out there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then Donkey Kong did a, yeah, I, I, I basically just like to peek inside there and see stuff, how stuff is kind of created. Crazy climbers are really weird one. I thought that they were just going to put the buildings together kind of in a very linear fashion, but it's, it's nothing like that. They, there's like, 27 unique slices so every time you see a 
a, like a pane of windows with a door in the middle of it. That's one slice. And then another slice might be just all windows. And then they end up stacking these up, uh, almost like a Jenga puzzle or something. You, you know what? Uh, Crazy Climber always reminded me of um, Spider-Man on the Atari VCS. Oh, sure. <laughs> that stupid web. And you're trying to get to the top. Would you just keep yeah, getting... All those games are just awesome. <laughs> Super. I love Spider-Man. It's like one of the best games ever. Superman. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> screen, jump screen to screen. <laughs> I could never quite figure out what I was supposed to do in that game. I knew I think Indiana there was a Jones. that game. I don't know. Yeah, Indiana Jones. Uh, what the hell was going on with Indiana Jones? <laughs> that was a tough game. Dude, and then... Uh, Trying to find the black market and all that stuff. Well, my magic had a game called Riddle of the Sphinx. I remember buying right. it. And I was like, what <laughs> the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. There were what? Some- <laughs> what about et did anyone buy et yeah <laughs> dude riddle and sphinx made et look awesome <laughs> get the, did, did you see now you can get the et cartridges that were in the landfill on, yeah i saw that whole documentary see the documentary yeah yeah that's pretty funny and it's a callback to ernest klein we were talking about before the show about oh that's right he showed up to that yeah yeah. So if anybody's interested, apparently there's been a recent leak of some footage from Ready Player One, which incidentally my fiance just started reading two days ago. She's loving it. Just don't read Armada and you'll be good. It's a good book. Not Armada. Do not read Armada. Ready Player One is a good book. Right. I'll wait for the next one. Yes, that's a very speaking, good book. Speaking of books, I think it's time to bookend this show. Uh, I really appreciate being on the show, Mr. Jim Stolis. Yeah. Thank you for having me on this uh World-renowned broadcast. <laughs> you know, who knows? Oh, yeah. Maybe in ten years you'll we'll be famous, be digging us out of the archives. <laughs> but anyway, I I really appreciate being on the show. We had uh, a great time. You you have such a, a wide you know knowledge of uh, Mame and arcades and, and such a different perspective than we do as collectors, right, guys? So really appreciate being on the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can obviously listen on our YouTube live or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google play. Um, we're also on Twitter at arcade radio and Facebook. Facebook. Or Adam's phone number is <laughs> five, four, eight game. <laughs> Nobody calls that number. Uh, subscribe, subscribe to us. Listen. Uh, thanks for listening in those guys that, that did tonight. Um, and we look forward to seeing you on the next show. Um, that's arcade radio. Signing off. Eight is enough. This is, this is where we dance. No, we dance. Mark, I'm disappointed. Am I supposed to put some pants on? I'm putting my pants on. I can't, I can't reach them. Are you taking your pants off again? I just never put them on. <laughs> forgot I this. Know. You forgot this show? That cold open was it was something else. That's what she said. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to drink Nyquil. Goodbye. Well, I'll see you later, Dan. Man, Bye, Dan. That, that guy's sick. He's sick and not in like the cool teenage way. Sick, man. He's sick. <laughs> I suppose I should take us off the air. Oh, yeah. Pull the plug. (laughs) Stop. Hit the stop button. Stop.